Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics Podcast. I'm your host, Ferris, here again with Gordon. The date today is the 28th, sorry, the 23rd of May. The price of Bitcoin is 36815 The block height is 684615 Now, Gordon, I believe we have another listener-driven question today. We do, Faris. Do you, do you think people in the future are listening to this because it's going to explode and whatever that they're like, daddy, daddy, or grandpa, tell us when you bought Bitcoin under a million dollars. Do you mean think they'll be like that in the explode. future? The price of Bitcoin or the future is going to explode? Oh, I, I'm in our podcast exploding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yes, we have a question. Um, and excellent. We've had some awesome questions. If you want to ask your question, head across to bitcoinbasics.help. There's a big button there called ask, and uh, we'll answer it just like we're about to answer this one. Uh, this is actually Ken's second question. So without further ado, here it is. Hey, Ferris and Gordon. This is Ken. Thanks for answering my first question. As a follow-up, can you explain how the consensus process works for adding additional decimal places to Satoshi or Bitcoin? And then what the difference between that is and inflation on fiat currencies? Thank you. Um, so Gordon, this is one where I think the two of us can really go into the rabbit hole because um, yeah, this has an aspect for both of our areas of specialty. Um, so we might have to keep each other in check to stay, you know, um, in our time frame on this one. I'll let you tackle the first part of this question about consensus. So far away. Yeah. So how do you make changes to a system that is decentralized, distributed? It doesn't have an IT department. There's no owners. Um, there's no, you know, physical address. How do you make changes to that? Well, it happens with something that we call consensus. And stop me, Faris, I won't go down a rabbit hole. Uh, Ken's question is excellent, but I think it would be uh, important to sort of zoom out a little bit and say, well, how do you make changes to Bitcoin, including one like we talked about, about making uh, sub-Satoshis or dividing Bitcoin into more parts. The way that it works is basically through this process called Bitcoin Improvement improvement proposal, BIP. And we actually discussed that on a podcast, a couple of podcasts ago. BIP 39 happens to be the standard of these 2048 words that we derive our 24 word backup phrase for hardware wallets or uh, software wallets. Without that standard, that means that you couldn't, you know, basically if your manufacturer went out of business, you'd be shot. That's it. You're done. You're dead. But with that standard, you can basically use those 24 words with any wallet. So, of course, uh, even though Bitcoin is decentralized, no owner, uh, we need standards. So this BIP is basically how it is. And so whether Ken was asking about to add more um, decimal points to Bitcoin, any changes, whether it's sort of major changes like this, this would be an enormous change, or whether it's some, some minor changes has to go through this Bitcoin improvement proposal. And basically, it works like this, and I'll be pretty brief. It's, it's pretty straightforward. You basically submit and anyone can submit a BIP and it gets a number. So the statuses are submitted, draft, 
It could be deferred or withdrawn by the author, accepted or rejected. And basically it goes through three steps. The first step is it needs to follow some sort of standard format. And then it gets um, either rejected or accepted by an editor. And we're talking the Bitcoin developers, what we call core developers. So they're the ones who sort of control it. And we could arguably say they are controlling Bitcoin, but we'll get to that in a moment. And basically, yeah, a, a BIP is either accepted or rejected based on these three things. One, it has a standard. Two, it includes some sort of code implementation of the proposed changes. So you can't just say, oh, I want there to be, um, uh, you know, 100 million Bitcoins, or I want there to be um, sub-Satoshis or whatever. Okay, that's an idea, but how are you going to do it? So there needs to be specific, and this is in code. So you either need to do it or you need to hire a developer or a company to actually do it, to actually propose changes. And the third one is the miners have to have 95% support for this change within 2016 blocks or two weeks time. So you may have a change that only 60% or only 40% of people or miners actually agree with, it's not going to get actually implemented. So you need those three things. And basically, let's say if this change is popular, then yeah, the miners vote. So the miners uh, have two weeks to basically signal their intent as to whether they accept or reject it. And if there's more than 95% support, which, you know, that's not 50%, 95% is basically everyone, then it's implemented. And before I hand it over to Faris, there are two kinds of implementations. One is called a soft fork, and that's where it's kind of like software being upgraded. So you would implement a new version of Bitcoin software, but that version needs to be compatible with previous versions. So if someone was running a one-year-old version of Bitcoin, your software, your new software has to be compatible with that. And that's very, very important for consensus and decentralization. And that's not contentious, you know, a change here that gets implemented doesn't. But the other kind of uh, implementation is called a hard fork. And that's where we see stuff like chain splits. That's where we saw stuff like um, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. So, for example, if someone decided I want to double the amount of Bitcoin from 21 million to 42 million, that would be a hard fork. And basically that would cause a chain split. And let's say 95% of miners rejected that change, but 5% did, you'd create two Bitcoins. You'd have one Bitcoin is 95% keeping the original 21 million and the other 5% keeping 42 million. No one would be using it, but that would cause two separate blockchains. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. So in summary, Ferris, that's it. Um, that's how things get changed in a decentralized system. There's no sort of silver bullet. Uh, but the idea is no one has control of it. No one entity, even a popular government, could control it because it needs to go through this process. Uh, it's called a meritocracy. It basically means it's not a democracy. The best ideas float to the top. So the best ideas get implemented. The worst ideas don't get implemented. It's, it's pretty much that simple. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. And as I said earlier, this this question really leads to the core 
of what Bitcoin is, and we could spend hours talking about it, um, but that's not what this podcast is about. We try to make things simple. So the second part of the question is um, inflation of fiat currencies. So a currency in itself, um, when it inflates, what that actually means is the purchasing power, if that currency is going down. Um, so if we look at, if you go in the morning, say it's a dollar for a bottle of milk, and then a month later, it's a dollar and 20 cents. Well, you're experiencing inflation because you need more dollars to buy the same product. So that's what inflation is. It means you need more of the currency to buy the same product. So that is, when we talk about inflation, we're basically saying, A, it is purchasing power going down. And purchasing power of currencies that we have today have been going down significantly um, since we went off the gold standard. Again, I don't want to go into too much detail there. Um, but the one thing I would do want to mention is in 2008, when we had the financial crisis and everyone was saying that basically the entire global financial system is on the brink of collapse. And the U.S. Congress had to pass a bill allowing um, Treasury and Federal Reserve an $800 billion stimulus package. And what that would have done is increased the balance sheet of the U.S. So the Fed balance sheet is basically how much money is in the system. It's a bit more complicated than that, but just as a summary, how much money it owes a taxpayer. Um, and it went from one trillion to two trillion in 2008 as a response. So 800 billion just you know, took it up from one to two trillion. And the first time that did not pass Congress, that bill, the American taxpayer was just an uproar. It's like, hang on, it's the you know bankers being greedy that caused this caused this problem. You're saying we need to bail them out. So no, so they didn't pass it. Ironically, even though they didn't pass it, the financial system did not collapse. They had time for another vote, and it went through again. So that was the Federal Reserve, which are unelected officials and unaccountable officials making the decision to print that money and put it into the economy. So I'll stop here and explain the difference between fiat currency printing and Bitcoin. So with Bitcoin from day one, there were only ever going to be 21 million created. As Gordon said, if you want to create more than the original 21 million, then it has to be via consensus. Everyone involved in Bitcoin has to decide. United States dollar, the taxpayer who holds those debts, they don't decide if more debts will be created. The Federal Reserve created more debt and is making the taxpayer liable. So the taxpayer is not involved in that decision at all. Um, What's happened since is it, there was an uproar in 2008. No, we're not going to bail them out. And the balance sheet was $2 trillion. Well, before COVID, that balance sheet went to just shy of $5 trillion, So it more than doubled. No one batted an eyelid. Um, since COVID, it's gone from just shy of $5 trillion to just shy of $7 trillion. So we went from $1 trillion to almost $7 trillion in 12 years. Now that is money printing, that is inflation. And what we're seeing now is even though we're in a global economic um, stagnation um, because of COVID, people being at work, look at the price of lumber, look at the price of copper, look at the price of your soft commodities, they are going up. 
If these things go up, it means the stuff you buy from the supermarket, everyday staples, those prices are going to go up. So the dollars that you have in your pocket are buying less. That is inflation. That basically means the prices of items that you need to live, they are going up, but the value of your dollar is not going up. You're not getting a pay increase. When the price of lumber and the price of oats or soybean goes up, your pay is not going to go up. That's inflation. So where Bitcoin, the way Bitcoin's released is every 200,000 blocks, we basically um, decrease by half the amount of Bitcoin's released in the system. So Bitcoin is designed as inflation, um, as a hedge against inflation. So right now the American government's going, oh no, it's not just the Americans, it's the Europeans and the Chinese as well, and the Japanese. Japanese have been doing this for over 20 years. We're in trouble, create more credit. Just keep you know, creating more money hoping people will borrow more, creating more debt. Bitcoin is designed in the other direction. Now we're going to say, this is how much we're going to create from day one, and then we're going to release it gradually. And if that has to change, then as Gordon said, it's by consensus. Everyone involved needs to vote for that change. Hasn't happened this way with fiat currency. It's the governments, the reserve banks that decide, here's what we're going to do. And what is very upsetting is that they are not affected by this change. So this is where moral hazard comes in. Um, so what they've done now is they've actually made life for the poor and the middle class far more difficult. They are not poor middle class. They are very wealthy. They have more disposable income to buy shares, to buy bonds, where we've seen an inflation in the stock market and the bond market because of these policies. So these policies have led to what's called a K-market recovery, where the rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer. So this is where Bitcoin, the decentralization and consensus nature of Bitcoin is actually far, far more de democratic, equal, and fair than the system that we have in place with fiat currencies. So basically what you're saying is under a Bitcoin standard, um, prices would actually get cheaper. People would be incentivized to save because there'd be less debt created and governments couldn't print money. So we probably wouldn't have any war because they couldn't afford it. Yeah, I mean, originally that's where taxes first came from. Taxes in America specifically were temporary to fund their wars. You didn't pay taxes unless you're at war. Bond purchases, that's where bonds came from, was to basically, pay, they were war bonds. That's where the term came from. Um, but I don't want to get too political here. I mean, you have to pay your taxes and bonds are basically an investment in a country. Um, but yeah, Bitcoin is designed to me, it's just supply and demand. And we can talk economics, finance as much as you want. The one irrefutable law of economics is supply and demand. The more supply, same demand or less demand, price goes up. And with Bitcoin, the supply is capped. With fiat currency, the supply is indefinite. And that's what we're seeing now. They're just creating more and more supply, hoping to create demand. Economics doesn't work that way. Yeah, Bitcoin is designed to pump forever. That's my uh, synopsis. <laughs> well, um, not forever. At some point stage, it will plateau. Um, but that's probably 100 years from now. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting. Fantastic question. Thanks, Gannon. Really good explanation, Faris. Uh, I know you wanted to go into a little bit more in terms of the economics and political 
uh, ramifications of money printing, quantitative easing. Um, you know, when, when, when you get inflation and hyperinflation. Um, and also for us, I don't think they'll collect taxes in the future anyway, when you've got digital dollars or whatever. Who needs to collect tax? You just create more money and, you know, we'll take your tax out permanently for you. So fascinating to see where this all goes, especially digital dollars. But that's a topic for another day. So Ken, I hope we've answered your question. If we haven't, feel free to ask a follow-up question. And you can ask your question, just like Ken did. Go to bitcoinbasics.help, click the Ask button or find it there on the website. And uh, yeah, you can find all our social media links, uh, podcast platforms, and an education section, all the above. So we would appreciate it also if you shared, like, and subscribe this so that it could get out to other people like yourself to spread uh, the educational content of um, Bitcoin. Yeah? Okay. Cool. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.